there's that desire for instant gratification that we can all appreciate. And that's why people want to know who's won on election night. But sometimes that's not possible. And certainly, I mean, it depends how you do the math. And obviously, uh, the Electoral College makes that even more interesting. But I would advise people to be patient this year and know that those election night results are are unofficial uh, and just probably go to bed early. (laughs) Welcome to Voting Now, Turning Rights into Reality, a podcast series hosted by the Oregon Federal Bar Association and the Oregon Historical Society in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage. I'm Robbie Reeves, and I'm a law clerk here at the Federal District Court in Oregon. I'm joined by my co-host, Federal Bar Association board member and U.S. District Judge, and my boss, Ann Aiken. Hi, Ann. Thanks, Robbie. (laughs) We are far from a universal and equitable right to vote. Our guests on this podcast are community leaders, activists, scholars, and students who have agreed to share their insight on the heroes of our past, the inequities that persist today, and the movements inviting your participation. Today, we are delighted to be speaking with Ben Hovland, the current chairman of the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. Now, if you're like me, you may never have heard of the EAC before this year or even this podcast, but this agency has already distributed almost a billion dollars to states to help with election security concerns and respond to the coronavirus pandemic. Before being unanimously confirmed by the United States Senate as a commissioner on the EAC in 2019, Ben had a nearly 20-year career in election law and governance at both the state and federal level. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Judge Aiken, I I believe you knew Ben uh, before he rose uh, to national prominence. Isn't that right? I sure did. It's tremendous privilege to have you with us, Ben, and thank you for taking time out of this very busy schedule that you have to make time for this podcast. Um, I want to, number one, point out that one of the incredible gifts of being a federal district court judge is the ability to work with talent that you can't imagine. And I had the incredible good fortune to have Ben apply for an externship in my chambers. What I remember most particularly about working with Ben is his incredible intellectual curiosity. And I'm most proud of the work that he did with the loan repayment program for the University of Oregon School of Law. Ben, it was a privilege to work with you then. And I watched your career with great interest because you're you're right where the rubber meets the road. So welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here again. It's always it's always fun to catch up and, and get to talk to you again. So uh, I'm excited about this, and it's a great opportunity to talk about elections, which uh, I think about probably more than is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, Ben, it is. Well, now it's October. We just turned the page. Um, we're less than a month, you know, out from the general election. Um, so, you know, we're going to get into what is the state of voting today? Are states ready for election day? And, and you know, what comes after November 3rd? But I wanted to give you a chance, um, first of all, to talk a little bit about the Elections Assistance Commission and explain to our listeners uh, what it is you do on a day-to-day basis and what your commission is focused on doing. The Help America Vote Act of 2002, which was Congress's response to uh, the Florida 2000 election, basically, Uh, created this agency, and we are an independent, bipartisan agency. We have four commissioners. Uh, I am one of those, and our chairmanship rotates, uh, and I'm the current chair. The agency has been given a number of responsibilities. You you mentioned the grant money, both at our founding and then more recently in the last few years. uh, Congress utilizes the Election Assistance Commission to distribute money uh, for election administration to the states. 
Uh, we also have a testing and certification program uh, around voting system standards, the voting machines, uh, and notably we serve as a federal clearinghouse uh, for election administration best practices. And Heather Gerken, who's the dean at Yale Law School, uh, she was testifying when I worked at the Rules Committee, and she talked about uh, election administration and the way the 50 different states run elections and, and sort of uh, use the Brandeis laboratories of democracy comparison, but said, uh, you know, what's the point of having those laboratories if you don't have somebody recording the results? And so that's really part of what the EAC does. We have a survey called the Election Administration and Voting Survey, which is is the only national survey of its kind that looks at how Americans get registered and how they participate in the process. Uh, it certainly keeps us busy. Uh, and, and around times like this, people take a little bit more interest in us. You know, you make a great point because I think it's a bit of a misnomer when we look at November 3rd and we say, oh, we've got a national election coming up. But in fact, there's hundreds of elections coming up. Isn't that right? And I mean, it seems like a really big job uh, for you guys to sort of manage, well, not manage, but assist, you know, all the states and county uh, officials who are trying to get these elections off the ground. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, if there's one thing to know uh, about elections in the United States, it is that they're decentralized, where there's about 9,000 local election officials around the country. Uh, most of that is at the county level. Some of the northeastern states don't have county government, and so they run elections at the municipal level. Uh, and then also Wisconsin and Michigan are somewhat outliers, and they also have municipal clerks that primarily run elections in those states. So I, I just want to stop a minute and say, when you've done these surveys, the most recent set of surveys, what are the large takeaways um, that may apply to this particular moment in time? And what are the things that surprise you? Just some general information that you, I'm sure you've gleaned from those surveys. Obviously, vote by mail, absentee balloting, uh, that has been front and center in the news. I think it's a misnomer that people think that this is something new. You know, we know from the Eve survey that nearly a quarter of Americans voted uh, mail or absentee in 2016. Looking at the Eve's data, uh, we see Americans gravitating toward convenience voting options. And when I say convenience voting options, those are mail or absentee balloting, early in-person or early voting. Um, and, and I think this year, with more people getting sort of a first-time experience with mail uh, or early voting, I think that will continue to grow. So have you seen um, changes since January, particularly um, heightened in March, and now going forward, where states are really making the commitment to address the COVID problem, and, and how are they going about it, and are they sharing information or do you have some best practices? After the foreign interference of 2016, election infrastructure got designated by the Department of Homeland Security as critical infrastructure. And that got that resulted in uh, some governance structures where we have a government coordinating council, which is state, local, federal partners in the room, and a sector coordinating council, which is really the private sector of the elections industry. Uh, and, and through that entity, we created a joint working group uh, back in March uh, to look at COVID and look at what the expected changes uh, around running elections were in a pandemic. And we were able to take some of those lessons learned, uh, put those in documents and share those around the country. Uh, and certainly, again, a number of the election officials from the, the mail-driven states uh, were great resources for their colleagues across the country. Uh, and then another portion was looking at how do you make a polling place as safe as possible? And, and some of it is 
you know, the, the basics of what you'd expect when you go to the grocery store, uh, but also looking at different ways that you could set up polling places. A lot of it is resource driven. Uh, elections are sadly critically underfunded in our country. You know, there's an array of reasons for that. Uh, again, the decentralization uh, local level, but also uh, the federal government's role in that. You know, again, particularly in light of the foreign interference of 2016 and what we've seen continue, there's absolutely a federal role. And, and the federal government, while there has been a significant contribution since 2018, there isn't that regular contribution sort of, and we've heard from election officials repeatedly about the need for an annual funding stream, you know, the continuous investment that allows sort of the smart spending or planning in the long term. You know, you made a great transition to what we wanted to also talk about today, which is election security. What do you see as uh, as the big security issues um, that are still out there? And, and how have states been using that money um, that, you know, they got from you guys to, um, you know, shore up their elections? I mentioned the critical infrastructure designation earlier, and, and that is, that's been a very big deal. It's really led to um, a, a sea change in information sharing. One of my favorite programs that I've seen was the development of cyber navigator programs. They tend to be a state employee that has regional responsibilities. What we've been talking about since 2016 are nation state actors that are, you know, very well funded and sophisticated. Uh, and so uh, that is a, a very different conversation. And uh, I think the way that we continue to see it bear out or play out right now primarily is in the the disinformation space. Uh, you know, social media, in my opinion, COVID has contributed to some of the risks or the challenges associated with misinformation and disinformation. To that end, do you um, do PSAs or national PSAs or any voting alert um, by using either uh, social media or the um, broadcast news industry? Do you get that information out on a general basis from your entity, or is that just relied on um, state by state to make those decisions? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ben Hovland uh, and have been putting out a lot of election information. Uh, and also the EAC does as well. The National Association of Secretaries of State, which are the chief election official in most states, uh, they've really driven a campaign called Trusted Info 2020. Uh, that's a hashtag, Trusted Info 2020, if you're uh, on social media right now. Uh, but what that has really been about is, again, driving people toward their state or local election official, knowing that that is uh, the best source for information around elections. Uh, but in this year with the pandemic, you will see, for example, polling places move. We've seen, for example, sports franchises volunteer up, uh, you know, significant arenas uh, that allow for social distancing and, and maybe are being utilized. Uh, this year is just going to look a little bit different. And, and that, I think, emphasizes the need to go to your state and local election officials uh, to get that basic information around how to participate. So somewhat to that end, Ben, can you take a few minutes and do your, what I would say is your instruction to the voter speech? What's your What's the speech that you give to the regular person on the street? We'll start early. As we record this, we're on the cusp of some voter registration deadlines. And so that uh, will make a big deal. And it's certainly the first step in anyone's plan to vote. Uh, and, and then the next is to figure out how you want to vote. This year, there's, I mean, every year, there's a lot of different options, but 
But this year, I think people should think through that. You know, what is their comfort level? In states where people haven't voted by mail as much, uh, I think understanding the times associated with processing is important. The best place to get that is from your state and local election official. It's usually on their website. Uh, and you can go see, uh, again, what those options are for uh, early in-person uh, for election day, uh, and you can figure out what works best for you. I guess that's my main speech to them is make sure you do it. I don't care how you do. So many people are are, are very excited about this election and and want to participate and they want to help. They want to help the process. You know, I think everyone understands that. You know, the the country and county local uh, officials they're they're under strain right now. And so, what would you tell people who are who, who want to help make sure that the process goes smoothly and and want to help make sure that other people can vote? One of the biggest things this year in a lot of states has been poll workers. And recruiting poll workers uh, is always a challenge. Uh, From the EVE survey I mentioned earlier, we know that uh, about 70% of jurisdictions had at least some difficulty finding enough poll workers in 2018. Uh, Then obviously the pandemic hit Uh, from, from EVE's. We also know that the majority of poll workers are over age 60. Uh, And so in some of those higher risk categories, Uh, associated with COVID or complications from COVID. Uh, And so you saw a lot of people dropping out. Um, At at the EAC, we heard that from election officials in some of our hearings and and otherwise. Uh, We launched something called National Poll Worker Recruitment Day. Uh, It was actually September 1st. Uh, Turned out to be a a great success this year. We were really pleased with sort of the outpouring. Uh, For people that are in male-driven states like Oregon and Washington, uh, there are still people in the process. It's just not at the polling place. It's on on the back end processing. And so there may be opportunities to do temporary work there as well and help out. Uh, and then one of the other things I'd say is helping people who are maybe less familiar with the process. We've been talking a lot about, you know, kind of some bigger issues about the election, you know, about about getting in your vote. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked about how people can make sure, you know, they're, they're going to vote. So, you know, now we're at election day, let's say, you know, we've, we've cast our ballots, we've mailed them in, everything's, everything's great. It's, it's November 3rd, 8 PM, uh, in Alaska, you know, the last, I don't know, maybe, you know, better than I, if, if someone's <laughs> voting after them, but you know, what comes next, you know, because I think people have this misunderstanding that it's election day and then the election's over. But I think you've described elections actually as being a, a three-part process, at least for you anyway, is, It's voting, and then comes the next and sometimes more litigated part of canvassing (laughs) certification. Uh, So could you explain to our audience a little bit about that and and, and what they should expect after Election Day? You know, most people are used to, you know, like you said, it's 8 o'clock and you're in Alaska and you're tuning into the news and you're waiting to hear, uh, watch as states get called. And and, and that tends to come from a, I mean, part of it is exit polling, certainly, uh, but more and more, we've seen states provide uh, election night results. But one of the big things that is really important to remember is that uh, election nights are always unofficial. You know, there are states that won't be able to begin processing their ballots. And that doesn't even mean counting, but, you know, verifying the signature, uh, you know, opening the envelope, flattening out the ballot so it's ready to go through the high-speed scanner. Uh, they won't be able to start that processing until election day, and that will create a certain lag. Uh, eventually, there is a process called the canvassing process and certification, which is, uh, I like to say, that's where people dot the I's, cross the T's, and double check the math. That's really where you go through everything, make sure it's right, and then certify those as the final results. And that's usually a few weeks after the election. 
you know, there there's that desire for instant gratification that we can all appreciate. And that's why, uh, you know, people want to know who's won on election night. But sometimes that's not possible. And certainly, I mean, it depends how you do the math. And obviously, uh, the Electoral College makes that even more interesting. But, uh, you know, I would advise people to be patient this year and know that those election night results are are unofficial uh, and just probably go to bed early. <laughs> so what will be your role? What will be the commission's role um, after the fact? Because elections are decentralized, uh, it really is each state's chief election official that that is in charge of that certification process. The role that we traditionally play uh, is more being there and being a resource if they need uh, assistance or need to bounce something off people, or, or certainly we have that 50 state vantage to know how other states are, are doing certain things. Uh, but then also there's certainly a role uh, in communicating that and having that understanding of how different states are doing things and, and working with the media, uh, et cetera, to uh, ensure that, uh, that people have a good picture of what is going on and, and what that process looks like. I know you've been all over the country. Are there some places where you want to shout out to some excellent places that they've, they're moving it forward. They've, they're really doing high quality work. I, I was curious about your cyber program and where some of the communities are that are taking that into effect. That would be helpful here in Oregon, perhaps. It's actually very interesting to be able to watch how, uh, I guess, election administration either changes or as some of the reforms happen, they sort of morph. And so you had you had Oregon and Washington sort of lead the way on, on vote by mail, uh, and then Colorado took it and they tweaked it a little bit. I, I find that uh, in in my time in this in this industry and in this career, you know, I know that I've come a long way. But uh, as far as my feeling about uh, <laughs> a one size fits all approach, and and certainly I know a lot of people think that like, why don't we just do this the same way all over the country? Uh, and certainly there's uh, occasionally good arguments for that. But uh, I will say, having worked uh, in the Senate and tried to pass uh, federal election legislation, which is very difficult, uh, one of the great things that you get out of our decentralized system is that organic reform and those developments. Uh, and, and you get to see those spread. Uh, Arizona started uh, online voter registration. Colorado pioneered risk-limiting audits or are sort of a type of post-election audit. It's one way that you know election officials uh, confirm the accuracy of their tabulation efforts, or at least a post-election tabulation audit is. I don't think we would see that kind of innovation uh, if we were dependent on just federal legislation. Well, I want to give a shout out because I think you're exactly right. And a shout out in Oregon is was the League of Women Voters that really pursued vote by mail and they did it incrementally and they did it county by county. It became so popular. It became a statewide process and we've had that in, in effect. It's been affirmed and addressed by the ninth circuit. And in fact, we were the first state to elect uh, a Senator uh, by vote by mail and that Senator widened. That's a great point. I, I, you know, the league of women voters had to do a lot of work because I, I mean, vote by mail just didn't happen. I mean, it was a slow process. It started in the early eighties uh, and really didn't achieve a full statewide implementation until the late 90s. 
Um, so, you know, Ben, I guess, you know, in listening to you, I, I'm actually feeling a little hopeful. You know, looking forward, uh, what do you think, um, you know, is going to happen uh, with elections? Where do you see it going? And what do you see out of uh, see it being good? You know, we've seen election administration get politicized way more than it should be uh, this year, unfortunately. And, and really, that's been a trend. I mean, I'm not naive to think it hasn't been around for a while, but certainly in a post Bush v. Gore world, uh, you know, that has continued to be a trend. Uh, and certainly it's been a significant one this year. But when I think at its core, when you see good election administration, it's not partisan at all. It's about good governance and customer service and in just making the voting experience good. Uh, I think as we look at, at this year and look for silver linings out of it, uh, I think it has forced a lot of innovation. Uh, we've really seen a new generation of poll workers uh, step up and sign up. I think there's a lot of Americans that didn't even realize that was an option and a way to sort of serve your community. And and even though you get paid, it's usually called volunteering because you don't get paid that much. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we've got some lifetime poll workers that will come out of this. Uh, you know, also, again, I think you've seen, uh, you know, with the expansion of convenience voting options and with more people experiencing that, uh, I hope that you'll continue to see those trends move forward and people make those uh, as efficient as possible and make those as customer friendly or as voter friendly as possible. Ben, we really appreciate you taking the time for, with us today to, to break down all of these issues. We like to ask our guests on this podcast, what's your personal voting ritual? Not your plan, but when you're actually filling out your ballot or, or going out, what's your ritual when you do that? Um, for example, you know, since I've moved to Oregon, um, you know, we get uh, our, our ballots in the mail and we get a wonderful book uh, from the Secretary of State's office that has information on, on all the candidates and the ballot proposals. And so what I like to do is uh, get my ballot in and then on a Saturday or Sunday morning, kind of get up and go sit at the table with a cup of coffee. And I mean, even on races, I've already decided I still love to read the book on all the candidates' positions and, and, and their qualifications. And then I have my laptop open because inevitably somebody didn't fill out a, a form or there's some ballot initiative. I need to research a little bit more. And here in Oregon, you know, we have uh, uh, tons of ballot drop-off boxes, uh, very conveniently located. And so I like to walk and, and put my ballots in the box because I feel like that's as close as I can get to pulling a lever in the state of Oregon. Uh, so that's, that's my personal voting ritual. And I just wondered if both of you would uh, share yours. Uh, maybe I need to get one. Uh, usually, usually my ritual is uh, hurry up and vote because you've got to work. Um, uh, prior to this position, uh, I was serving as a poll worker uh, at, in my local precinct, and my wife came in to vote with our daughter, uh, and that was fun. She obviously was very into the I Voted stickers, uh, and so that was a big hit, but it was it was just fun to have her get excited to see me serving as a poll worker and, and see the process. Uh, but then this year, uh, she went down uh, with me to the the blue mailbox at the end of the block and was was very excited to to get to pull open the mailbox and and get to see uh, the ballot get dropped in and and it was just uh, you know again fun to see. Uh, her excitement about the election process, even if it was uh, some of the, the different parts of it anyway. I hear you completely. It's a family activity and always has been at our house back in the day when we used to go to the polls and we would take the kids with us and vote. And it was, it was a big day. And we, uh, we taught our, our children that that was their uh, responsibility to be an informed voter. But uh, nowadays it's a little different. I'm like Robbie, I get the voter's pamphlet 
I I read it as soon as it comes in the, the night I pull it out of the mailbox. I'm kind of a nerd. I love to read the voters pamphlet statements and, and like Robbie, if there's something missing, I'm going to go do a little research, but um, I tend to vote immediately and I oftentimes will vote get it ready and I will just get in the car and I will drive it to 10th Avenue right downtown in Eugene and put it in the slot and be done because again things are busy and I want to make sure I get my ballot in and in our family there's sort of a circular thread that goes around through text and my sons send pictures walking to the blue mailbox or going in and they take a picture of their little guy putting the, the envelope in and helping their parents vote and being part of election day. So it's a highlight and I know everybody's on edge. I really do believe people need to pay attention to everything that you've said today. And I hope when they listen carefully, they'll plan to vote early and get it done and make sure that every vote is counted. Thanks so much, Ben, for joining us today. We truly appreciate it. Listeners, if you are interested in learning more about the Elections Assistance Commission and what it does, please visit eac.gov. Also, please follow Ben on Twitter at, at Ben Hovland, a trusted social media source, I'll add, with all of your envelope design questions. Please subscribe to this feed for more great podcasts. We have some wonderful guests coming up, not only through Election Day, but beyond. Rate and review us so that other people can find us and have access to the information like what you got today. And most importantly, make sure that you are ready to vote. This has been Voting Now, Turning Rights into Reality. Thanks for listening.